A reading from the book of Acts. When the day of Pentecost had come, the apostles were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In all our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word of the Lord. I was walking down Dubuque Street the other day <clears throat> and I saw <clears throat> a woman pushing a double stroller. As a person who loves babies, I leaned over to peek at the little ones and was surprised to instead see two cats <laughs> strapped into the stroller wearing matching sweaters. I swear they looked at me pleadingly and also scornfully, but that might have been me projecting, given my public opinion on cats. <laughs> it wasn't that the cats weren't adorable in their matching sweaters, but my first thought was, how in the world did this happen? <laughs> how do the creatures with four legs get pushed in a stroller by the creature with two legs? Hardly seems fair. 
And how do these cats, whose fierce ancestors were saber-toothed tigers and European jaguars, end up wearing matching sweaters that say, I'm pretty adorable? The level to which we domesticate things is startling. Please note, this is not an attack on your pet parenting. It is a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. Today is Pentecost. Pentecost means 50. Pentecost is the Jewish festival that comes 50 days after the Passover, which is when the Spirit of God moved throughout ancient Egypt, killing the firstborn Egyptian sons and sparing the Jewish firstborn sons. For Christians, Pentecost is 50 days after Easter, a day which is marked by the things we just heard about in our reading from Acts. In short, Pentecost marks the birthday of the church when God blows open the doors and windows of the disciples' room and says to them, go out and tell the story of Jesus. Don't worry about language. My spirit will help you. The story from Acts is a powerful one. In the days after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, <clears throat> it is not unusual to find the disciples gathered all together in one place, mostly out of fear of being persecuted. And today is no exception. However, while they are huddled together, the Holy Spirit rushes from heaven in a violent wind and fills the room where they are sitting. We often depict this as a gentle breeze, but it says there was a sound like a violent wind, which is more like the sound of a freight train bearing down on you. It's a wind that comes from within the room itself, increasing pressure, pushing against floorboards and windows, causing structures to bend and creak and moan, pushing aside obstacles and roadblocks. I love the hymn, Spirit of Gentleness. We're going to sing that later today because it's beautiful. But that's not really at all how the Holy Spirit is described in the Bible. Is it a gentle spirit at Passover? Gently killing the Egyptian sons? To describe the spirit as gentle is a domestication of who the Holy Spirit really is. And she neither needs nor likes being domesticated. This is especially problematic because in the Bible the spirit is female. While the church has tried to domesticate her, she won't have it. She won't be subdued. This is especially true in our Pentecost reading from Acts. On Pentecost, we wear red clothing to symbolize fire, and we sometimes even wave doves symbolizing the Holy Spirit on long poles, swooping and diving among the people. But in doing this, we put sweaters on cats. Your red is lovely. You look beautiful today. And that hymn is lovely. And doves on poles are silly, but some think they're lovely. But the Holy Spirit in the Bible is less like a gentle breeze on your cheek and more like a two-by-four over your head. The church tries to domesticate the Holy Spirit into a gentle breeze when, in fact, the Holy Spirit is a rushing, violent wind. She is fierce and disruptive and rarely, if ever, pretty adorable. 
Much like the first Easter, the first Pentecost for Christians is extremely disturbing and confusing and frightening. Imagine sitting in a bolted room with your friends, eating a potluck and watching Netflix when suddenly the doors and windows blast open. We Iowans have some idea what that might have been like, given our familiarities with tornadoes and storms and such, but there is nothing cozy or comfortable happening that first Pentecost. No matching sweaters, no red banners, no doves on poles. It's a maelstrom of fire and wind. After the Holy Spirit fills the room and its occupants, the disciples proclaim the story of Jesus in other languages. Scholars interpret this story in dozens of different ways. The miracle here is not that these rural Galilean preachers suddenly are fluent in rural, in world languages. The miracle is that the listeners' ears are blasted wide open. Suddenly, Jews who have either settled in Judea or who have come to celebrate the festival of Pentecost hear the story of Jesus Christ being told in their own native language. Imagine the shock and astonishment and joy in hearing your own language, which you've not heard for so very long. The miracle, then, of Pentecost is not what's spoken, it's what's heard. The focus is not on the disciples, it's on the people. As they hear the gospel in their own languages, people from all over the ancient Middle East, which Luke relishes listing with specific particularity to the dismay of most lay lectors everywhere. These people hear the good news of Jesus Christ in their own language and they get it. They hear it in words that are meaningful to them, words that have significance to them, words that speak to their heart. The Holy Spirit opens their ears to hear the story of Jesus in words they understand. The gospel focus is never on the preacher, but always on the listener. My preaching professor, David Lowe's, who is now a senior pastor at Mount Olivet in Minneapolis, wrote his doctoral dissertation on preaching while he was my instructor in seminary. <clears throat> his thesis was, preaching is not what is said, it is what's heard. For example, I can say to you, you are the greatest person in the world, but you won't hear that as good news if you think you are a piece of crap. The Holy Spirit guides words from the speaker's mouth to the listener's ears transforming the human spoken word to create God's reality for each particular person, which is why people hear sermons differently. So often people have said, hey, I like that you said this and such in your sermon, but I did not say this and such. It's what they heard, though. The Holy Spirit guides the spoken word, yes, but it is how that word lands that is transformative. A spoken word with no ear to hear it is irrelevant. Once words leave your mouth, you no longer have any control over them. The Spirit does. When we speak words, we commend them to the Holy Spirit, and then she sets to work. We speak our finite, limited words as best we can, and then the Holy Spirit takes flight transforming our words 
to other people. In the end, humans are not God's word. Jesus is God's word. So there is freedom, I think, in this, that we can hold our words less tightly, not carelessly, just less tightly, knowing that we have a partner in translation, that God's grace is not dependent on our nouns agreeing with our verbs, that God's spirit is blowing doors open and pushing obstacles out of her way so that humans can comprehend God's word of love. This is scary business, though. And so people, nonetheless, try to exert control over the Holy Spirit by forcing her into a box, squeezing her into tiny cat sweaters, contorting the gospel to be conditional, threatening eternal judgment and hell to anyone who deviates from a specific lifestyle, sexual orientation, socioeconomic class, race, and gender. The Christianity that we see depicted in the news today that has allowed itself to be hijacked by empire power has sold out. This is Christianity that tries to smash God into a box and squeeze God into a cat sweater so that God looks like them, speaks like them, makes love like them, lives in a house and drives a car like them. For example, the impeachment of Attorney General Ken Paxton in our news today from Texas and his religious claims regarding extramarital affairs and financial transactions with Dairy Queen. Such people try to squeeze God into a North American, patriarchal, white, heterosexual, wealthy box, but this is not who God is. There is an expression of Christianity that is threatened by ethnicity and diversity. Instead of celebrating ethnicity and diversity, which is exactly what the book of Acts does. In Acts, one common ethnicity seems to unite most of the crowd. They are either Judeans or converts to Judean identity, yet ethnicity is never one-dimensional. Even as Judeans, they represent a broad spectrum of other ethnic identities, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, and I'm not going to list the whole thing for you again. Even Paul identifies with three identities, using to his advantage each one when it suits his purposes. He is Judean, a Roman, and a citizen of Tarsus. I am both Irish and German in ancestry, meaning I use to my advantage when it's St. Patrick's Day or Oktoberfest. We all do. But I'm also an Iowan and an American. The Book of Acts understands the reality of diversity and multiple ethnicities and celebrates it. The first century church is founded and grounded on that. Indeed, without such diversity, the church ceases being church and becomes just another club. Lots of Christians claim to transcend ethnic diversity by erasing ethnicity. I don't see color, they say, but Acts does see in color and values ethnic difference and diversity. Acts 
imagines unity that embraces diversity rather than bleaching it out. The miracle Pentecost is not that one language brings everyone together. It's not that everyone learns English. It is that all the people hear the gospel in their own language because the Spirit is busy doing her work, translating and interpreting. The Holy Spirit's job is to make people different. So who are we to stand in her way? What's the fear then? Why try to domesticate the Holy Spirit and squeeze her into a tiny cat sweater? What's at stake? Are we afraid that we might hear something that will push us to speak and act in bold ways that scare us? Is it that we might hear a word that stirs to life something we had once abandoned as long dead? It doesn't feel good to have things stirred up that we have long since laid to rest. Do you think it felt good for the army of murdered people Ezekiel comes upon to be stirred back to life, sinew to sinew and bone to bone? Do you think that was pretty? I'm guessing it was pretty ugly and smelly, terrifying. But that is how and where the Holy Spirit works, right? In those places of fear and death and hopelessness. Places of resignation where we live with bolted doors and locked windows. It is into these places where the Holy Spirit rushes in like a freight train, hits you over the head with a two by four and says, no, get up and go. You speak, leave the hearing to me. The miracle of Pentecost is that the Holy Spirit empowers and equips normal people who are afraid and full of self-doubt to speak. And the Holy Spirit empowers and equips normal people who are without hope to hear. The Spirit fills normal people like you and me from within and pushes aside our own personal obstacles and roadblocks. So, now that you've spoken gospel words, now that you've heard gospel words, what are you going to do about it? There's no excuse anymore. No one can say we didn't know, we couldn't understand, because the Holy Spirit has rushed into your ears and mine and told us the story of Jesus in words that we all can understand, because the gospel message is at heart simple. God loves you no matter what, period. Today, the Holy Spirit says, hey, I passed Jesus on his way to heaven. He was ascending, I was descending, and he gave me a job to do. I'm to empower you to speak God's word of grace to all people. Don't worry about words, I will translate. In this way, God gives the Holy Spirit to all people, regardless of gender, age, orientation, race, place in life. There's nothing comfortable or really pretty about any of this. Birth is rarely pretty. At least mine weren't. This is not squeezing cats into sweaters. It's the opposite of literally letting the cat out of the bag or the sweater. See what I did there? <laughs> Telling the truth that there's another way of being Christian rather than one that you see in the news. Sharing this word with others is scary, but it is also Amazingly gorgeous when you get to say to another human being, you know, God created you and loves you as you are.
How those words are heard are beyond your control. But trust that the Holy Spirit will find her way to desperate human ears so that they can hear what they need to hear, ensuring that there is hope instead of futility, forgiveness instead of judgment, joy instead of sorrow, when words of love and grace and hope land on desperate ears, new life begins. Salvation does not depend then on your words or mine, but rather on God's word and the Holy Spirit, whose eternal work is to spread love and grace across all cultures and languages, even long after our human words give out. Amen.